Ikra with Robohub, the podcast for news and views on robotics. Hello and welcome to the Robohub podcast. In today's episode, we'll be visiting the International Conference for Robotics and Automation, ICRA. But before we dive headfirst into the conference action, we just wanted to flag an exciting announcement about our new Patreon campaign, which we will share at the end of this episode. So make sure you don't miss it. But first, let's hear from ICRA, the IEEE Robotics and Automation Society's biggest conference and one of the leading international forums for robotics researchers to present their work. Our interview Audro was there for us and caught up with some of the companies in attendance. First up, his interview with Howard Mickel, Chief Technology Officer at UB Tech Education, who spoke about a small educational humanoid robot that engages students and offers various tasks for different age groups. Hi, welcome to Robots Podcast. Hi, how are you doing? Would you introduce yourself? So, I'm Howard Mickel. I'm the Chief Technology Officer for UB Tech Education in Shenzhen, China. And would you tell me about the robots you have on display here? Okay, so the robots behind me uh, are, are really a consumer product. They're made by uh, UB Tech uh, Robotics. Um, we sell them uh, as an entertainment toy. Yep. What we're doing in UB Tech Education is taking the basic platform and changing them into something we can use in STEM education. Uh, STEM education, not just about robots, but across all of the STEM fields. Mm-hmm. And so the robots behind me, just to be explicit, are dancing humanoids that are maybe 30 centimeters tall or a foot tall. Oh, that's correct. Yeah, that's right. So we're audio, so you can't see that. That's correct. Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, just tell me a little bit about them uh, okay. in terms of actuators, sensors. Sure. So so the Alpha 1 that you see are uh, about uh, 16 servos. We have an Alpha 2 that has 20 servos. Uh, the Alpha 1, as you see, uh, is is a basic dancing robot, right? The Alpha 2 is the same robot, more servos, but it also has uh, voice recognition in it. What additional degrees of freedom do you get with those? So we're mostly in the neck, um, oh. so we can move the head. The Alpha 1 doesn't move. Uh, it's got uh, three in each arm, uh, four in each leg. Right? Uh, the Alpha 2, a um, little bit more powerful processor, a uh, little bit more sophisticated software. Uh, but basic same concept, humanoid robot, uh, you know, uh, I'd say a foot, foot and a half tall. Yes. Uh, yeah. Okay, and what kind of sensors? Uh, so so they don't really have any sensors in them. They have, uh, you know, basic sensors about gyro, right, if it falls down. But uh, the concept with the, with the Alpha 1X for education is going to have uh, many sensors. And so we're going to have basic core sensors for gyro. Uh, also, we're going to have sensor packs. So you could have, for example, a weather station. You could have a health station. So you can have uh, blood pressure, blood oxygen, respiration. Uh, external sensors could measure temperature, wind speed, uh, other ones for physics. Uh, we're going to be coming up with the newer robots that actually can be used for robot education. Obviously, we'll have to incorporate uh, more different sensors, uh, force sensors and those kind of things. Some of these sensors sound quite sophisticated. I mean, blood pressure and uh, blood oxygen and these mm-hmm. kinds of things. Blood oxygen, do you have to draw blood? No, you don't. So, so actually, it's a clip you put on your finger. 
oh. um, and it's uh, quite painless. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and so you can actually buy some of these things, uh, you know, if you're interested in health or if you're interested in weather. Um, they have hobbyist kits, right, with these kind of things. They have, uh, um, you know, blood pressure sensors. What we're trying to do is incorporate all those in a group and use the uh, processor and the robot uh, as a platform. So you don't need to buy a separate processor for each, but you connect either Bluetooth or Wi-Fi a sensor pack where you have some of these sensors actually built in. We have places in the robot where these sensors will plug in. So who are, who are these robots built for? So we're, we're looking, primary market would be education, yes, so school course. systems. Um, secondary market but, would be I consumers. Mean, uh, how old are uh, the children? So, so it depends on the robot. Um, so we could use the same robot in different grade levels. So, for example, you could take uh, one of these dancing robots, uh, take it to a five-year-old and say, uh, stand on one leg. And, and so the five-year-old stands on one leg and they kind of balance themselves. You ask the robot to stand on one leg and it falls over because nobody told it to balance itself. And you could start engaging the five-year-old, what does it mean to balance? You take the same robot for a 10-year-old, we put uh, four sensors in the, in the arms and see how about weights and can we see how far out it goes. So we could talk about the mathematics of balance. And then you can take the same robot for a 15-year-old with, a, with an open source pl- uh, programming platform and you can actually program experiments in this thing and have a different kind of things. So for the same physical concept, different age groups, 5, 10, 15-year-olds, you can use the same platform in different ways. So where do these more advanced sensors fit in? It seems like college-level experiments? So we're looking probably more at high school, yeah. middle, middle school, uh, advanced middle school, high school, and, and beginning uh, freshman uh, university. Yes. Um, we're looking at um, you know using the platform uh, as as a as a platform more than a robot, right? For these groups, we're looking at coming up with another robot that actually would be a robot platform about the robot itself. I don't understand the distinction. So so the distinction is um, with the Alpha One X that we're going to be selling in the fall. We're looking at um, using it as a teacher's aid or a teacher's prop. So it becomes. Uh, a computing platform that engages students. Uh, the difference then would be one that talks about robots. We'd have to put uh, force sensors on the robot, a lot more internal sensing of the robot's position and motion and those kind of things, where you could actually program different gait patterns and those kind of things. So, again, trying to make uh, a robot does does what you need, but not everything for everybody. So different versions of the robot that you could buy for different needs, which will reduce the cost of the robot, and, but also make it, I think, more more user-friendly. Not true. Are there other similar humanoids that are used for education? Yeah, so clearly the NOW robot is, is a very popular robot, right? Yes. Um, and much more expensive. Um, but it's, it's also very high-performance, high-accuracy uh, kind of robot. We're looking for something that uh, maybe has 80% of the functionality of now, uh, not with the precision. Uh, not everybody needs all the precision. So if you don't need the precision, if you don't need the, uh, I think the now has 24 degrees of freedom. If you don't need 24 degrees of freedom, you know, will 16 do? It depends on what you want to do. Mm-hmm. Okay. What about open-source humanoid robots like the Darwin, where you, uh, you basically... 3D print different components, buy some electronics, the servos and this sort of thing, yeah. maybe, and then the processor, and then put it together yourself, or maybe you buy a kit. How does this compare? So we're going to be marking the Alpha One X as a kit, uh, not as a whole robot. Yep. Um, we're, we're in the process of wrestling with uh, how many pieces to give the consumer, right? Um, these uh, have 
uh, probably 150 screws holding them together. You clearly, you don't want to have somebody put in 150 screws, right? Um, but, you know, we could have somebody put on legs and arms and the computer yeah. and those kind of things. Um, we're also looking at incorporating a 3D printer, not so much in these robots, but in the smaller the U-Kit robots. Um, you know, so clearly that's, that's the way I think education is going. Okay. And... What kind of difficulty will you have bringing these into school systems to use in their curriculum? So we're actually developing curriculum. We're working with Beijing Normal University in China, which is a top teaching school in China. Um, we're starting to work with the University of California at Berkeley to bring them into the U.S. Uh, clearly, the, the uh, product we're trying to sell is hardware, software, and curriculum. Right. So, so teachers need the curriculum. Um, the, the market's going to depend on where we want to go. So in China, it's, it's much more uniform. Right? State says this is what should be in the curriculum, it's in the curriculum. Uh, in the U.S., it's very much school district by school district. Right? And so, uh, you know, that's a more difficult market to get into. So, what kind of, how, how do you imagine a curriculum to look? So, I imagine a curriculum to be, um, for example, a concept, like I talked about uh, balance. Yeah. And, and so, the lesson would start with a question. And then the students would discuss something. The teacher would have some material we either could provide or there could be a textbook or something like that that talks about balance. But then you get the students to actually do hands-on stuff, to, to practice something, to do something, to try something. And then they start asking each other questions. And then there's a group discussion, and then they, they kind of talk about what they've discovered. And then the teacher could wrap it up again and say, now this is where the next thing goes. Uh, tying all these things together. So, so a particular concept for a particular student age in a particular field starts with a question, and we have some material then that would kind of support uh, discovering answers to that question. Mm -hmm. And so the robot adds engagement, is what you're thinking? Exactly, exactly. That's the best way to put it. Yeah. So the robot engages students because, you know, it's just the way it is. People like robots, right? Um, and people learn better by learning, discovering, doing than having somebody teach them. So uh, I think the best education is to start with a question and have the students provided some information that they can discover, and then they learn. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Next, Odra spoke to Lee Bingbing, a software engineer and co-founder of Transformer in Singapore, who have developed a rising box robot with a robotic arm and spray paint nozzle for painting tall buildings. Hi, welcome to Robots Podcast. Hi. Can you introduce yourself? My name is Bingbing. I'm uh, currently working at uh, Transformer Robotics, and I was, previously I was a researcher in NTU. Uh, this is actually, this robot is developed uh, when I was in the NTU or research team. Very interesting. So tell me about this painting robot. Okay, sure. This, uh, actually, uh, the Zhurong Tang Corporation come to us and said this, uh, they need a robot to for the high ceiling warehouse painting or industrial building painting, which is, uh, they need something like uh, 10 to 13, me 13 meters. Because at that height, it's very dangerous for human workers over there. They have to, uh, ride, uh, they have to wear a fasten a safety harness. A safety harness, sorry. Uh, yeah, to keep themselves uh, to keep themselves safe. So we think, why don't we use a robot to do that work? So we developed this thing. So we built a thermos lift to rise the whole platform to up to 30 meters. 13, one, three. 
13 meters. One, three? 13? Yeah. So 10 to 13 meters. Yeah, actually the operation range is 3 to 13 meters. Yes, got you. Yeah. And so would you describe what this robot looks like? Uh, this, well, I should say it's a huge box. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. Okay, so it's a With giant like, box yeah, giant. that is maybe two meters by two meters two, by two. two meters, and then there's a robot arm sitting on top. Like one meter, yeah. How many degrees of freedom uh, the for the robotic robot, arm? The arm is six. Then, make seven? Yeah, then it makes seven, and we have another X, Y, and rotation three, so it's overall okay. ten, yeah. If you don't include this in supporting line. Okay, so if it's stationary, it's seven degrees of freedom. And so one, it just rises up and down, and then it's a six degree of freedom robotic arm that spray paints a surface, correct? So at the end effector of the robotic arm, there's a nozzle that has a tube running from it, and I guess that goes to the paint. Yes, that goes to paint as well as its control unit, power, everything. Gotcha, and so it sprays at a wall. Now, tell me a bit about the sensors. On this, how do you know you're close to the wall? Okay, so we have a laser scanner in our robot base. So this one is uh, this one detects whether it's close to the I uh, mean the required painting surface or not. Then it's also used for safety. So we have another special camera on top of this uh, or uh, robot arm. It scans the whole surface for painting. Then we can plan the trajectory. Uh, for this painting process. So demo here, we just use a flat wall, but normally we actually we can paint the curved walls or different shape of walls because for we have uh, we, we build actually build a 3D model of that that painting area with yeah, the yeah. point cloud. Mm, not a light, it's, uh, it's a point. Structure uh, lighting. It's a it's a type of flat camera. Actually, it's a point cloud based. It is point cloud based. Yeah, okay. Now, one thing very interesting about this is you have feet mm -hmm. on the box. Mm -hmm. Tell me a bit about the feet. Okay, the feet is designed to support the robot when it's uh, extended high, uh, roughly more than five meters. Gotcha. Yeah. So it basically widens the base for support. Widen and, uh, yeah. And they can be lowered down. Yes. So they're feet that are standing up, connected to the base of the robot, and then they basically make it so it has a wider support polygon. Interesting. And then one of the things to make clear, it's a box now, mm -hmm. but somehow it does an extension to get taller. It's like a telescoping yes, effect yes. with bars. Yeah, it's a lift, yeah. Gotcha. And so that's how it rises up to paint from three yeah, to thirteen. We design the scissor lift, but uh, we found that in the market we cannot have uh, such a scissor lift that fits our requirements. Okay. So have you tried this out on actual buildings? Yes. How does it work? And where is this project going to be adopted by industry? Mm. Or will it be uh, uh, Actually, I said the Zhongtang Corporation is our leading agency, so we test this robot in their construction set that unfinished the building. Uh, we test it on one wall, then we try to paint the corners, the uh, normal surface, then the beam outside of this wall. Uh, actually, I should say we, have, we still have something to improve for the robustness of this robot, but... Uh, uh, I think the technology is here. We just need to um, get more, I mean, just try to make it more compact, more reliable. Do you have an idea about how this will be used in business? Will it be something that someone rents to paint a building? Yes, because it, 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 it really depends on where the, I mean, 
who wants this service? If it is a building company, uh, I think they can buy because they are constructing different uh, from time to time. But if there are no more, I mean, like developers, they probably can just rent this thing for uh, just one service. I see. So will it move itself to move down the wall, or is this user-directed? So if I if I want to paint in a spot adjacent to where it's just painted, does it do it autonomously? This is uh, autonomous vehicle, but uh, till now we uh, haven't touched that part yet. Ah. Yeah, this is a capable autonomous. And then so logistically, if I'm painting a wall and I'm painting very high up, mm-hmm. for it to move over to the next spot, does it have to come all the way down? Yes. Ah, otherwise it might tip over. Yes. This is a safety requirement actually for human beings. It makes sense. Mm-hmm. Okay. But this thing, uh, I think we can move at five meters. I mean, five meters above where they move. But for human beings, have to oh, be low to, as low as to two meters. Because of the danger. Very cool. Thank you. Okay, you're welcome. And next up is an interview with Xianbao Cheng, an associate researcher at Shanghai Jiao Tong University, where researchers are developing a hexapod robot for large parts machining. Hi, welcome to Robots Podcast. Hi. Would you introduce yourself? Yes, I'm one of the staff from Shanghai Jiao Tong University uh, of our Institute of Intelligent Walking and Operation Robot. Tell me a bit about the robot you have here. Uh, we have two different kinds of robots. The first kind is a manufacturing robot. It's mainly used for a uh, big piece of parts manufacturing, where the part cannot be taken away from the factory, and the robot can walk in and do the drilling and milling. And the other kind of the education robot, that is mainly for uh, college to do research to develop different kind of programs. I'd like to focus on the robot for industry. Yes. Okay. First, would you tell me what it looks like? What it looks like? It looks like a giant elephant. <laughs> Actually, it's a hex robot. It's very uh, heavy. It's about 400 kilogram with six legs, and each leg has three chains. This is the parallel mechanism that keeps the robot a high payload capability. Mm-hmm. How tall is the robot? It's about 1.5 meters tall, and it could be much higher if it stands high. Okay, gotcha. About about eight points. So these are these are they they translate. Yes, the ball screw actuator. Okay, and so each leg has three. Are they hydraulic or what? What are, you said electro? Yeah, electrical motors, motors drive the uh, screw ball, and to extend the leg. To yes, make it. yes, yes. And each leg has three degree freedom. Yeah, you're right. Three degrees of freedom. And this allows you to angle the ankle? Yes, it's a spherical joint at the foot yeah, so that it can uh, adapt to different directions. So tell me a bit about the sensors okay. that are on this robot. Oh, sure. We have uh, six axis force sensors at each foot tip of the robot to sense the touchdown force of the robot. So when it is... Uh, walking on some uneven terrains, it can adapt to the terrains. And we have uh, we have laser sensors at each side of the robot to look at the road, so they can when it to cross the obstacles, to cross the gaps, or could even climb stairs. And we have laser 
sensors at the front of the robot to locate the precise position of the spindle. So it knows where to start drilling and working. Okay. Now tell me about, a bit about the power system of this. We use battery to drive the motors. And so the battery is massive. Uh, there mass- are several of them. We have two, uh, three batteries at the bottom of the robot. So each battery is uh, about 35 ampli-hour. Amps hour. And then tell me about, about the motor driver. Uh, we use, right now we use the, uh, the Elmo driver to drive the motor. Well, anyways, there's a big box that's taking the power from the batteries, and it is maybe 30 centimeters by 30 centimeters by a meter and a half? Yes, a meter and a half and about 1.5 meters high. And about 1.5 meters high. And it has, how many, how many motors is it going to? There are 24 motors. 24 18 motors. for six legs and six for the manipulator. And the extra spindle, of course. And so each of these has a power ground yeah, connection they, to it? Yeah, they is all it, have the connection to the battery, uh, to, to, to the driver. And the driver connect to the controller and to the battery. I see. So I'm seeing this robot's legs move. One thing that I find quite interesting, and the legs move very slowly, they retract, because you have a motor spinning that's going up, uh, basically it's pulling a spiral that spins the leg, so it goes up. I see. And so the way you coordinate the legs is you bring them all up at a time, and the way you make sure that there is... Go to the zero point, it's the starting point. I see. And so it always stands on three legs at a time. Yeah, so that makes it stable. And one thing that I find interesting is that you're using springs Mm -hmm. at each of the feet. So the ankle of the foot is basically a spring and then a flat contact. And this makes it so that you can stand on level or stand on various ground. Actually, uh, yeah, the spring on the... So you don't have to really control the actuators finely. It would be very difficult. Otherwise, these are just controlled all at the same time. You bring them all up to the zero point, then you bring them down evenly. Now tell me a bit about the drill. Well, that it has. It's a high-speed spindle that could drill holes uh, in iron, metal, in uh, aluminum, and steel. Yes. Okay. And I see that it has a lot of axes of freedom. Yeah, they have six degrees of freedom. Three translational degrees of freedom and three rotational degrees of freedom. Mm-hmm. So to adapt to different uh, direction and position of the parts. And this is at the head of the vehicle. Yes. Now... And the body also has six degrees of freedom that could adjust to the parts. So, and the manipulator could uh, compensate the area of the body. And we also use the laser sensor on the in the front to precisely locate the tip of the pindle. I see. So, what kind of tasks is this made for? What kind of things do you imagine it's going to be used on? We are going to use it on the manufacturing of ships, uh, rocket parts, and some something like this, giant parts that cannot be moved. So it's like a big CNC machine in yes. a sense. Yes. A portable CNC machine. Yes. Interesting. Where, it, So in terms of actually implementing it and using it in these environments, where are we? Uh, right now it hasn't been uh, applied yet, but it, it will be applied in a very short future because we are cooperating with some, uh, with some companies 
yes. that uh, this is a project that it will be used after the end at the end of the project. Something like um, uh, the factory uh, in Shanghai uh, building ships, and also uh, uh, the factory. I mean the nuclear plant in Shenzhen. Yes. Because it's, it can be sent to some places where uh, people they are not quite suitable to get in because there are nuclear radiations. Yes. Like uh, opening the doors. Yes. And do the cleaning, do the uh, scanning of the environment. Now, so why are the legs in this way? This why, why do you use these uh, translational legs? Because uh, this way of making leg we use the ball screw instead of using the uh, reducer yes. that, so that um, so that uh, the robot uh, the, the motors can be um, relatively smaller the ball screw can also be taken as a high ratio reducer yes and uh, the force within the workspace would be uh, I mean they will be even I mean when you stand high or you stand short, the force will be the same. Yes. So we don't need a very huge motor to generate the, the, the force, actually. I see. Oh, you don't need a very large motor to generate the force. And that was a good thing because it weighs a lot. Yeah, it weighs a lot. And that was one of the considerations in picking this method of locomotion. Yes, yes. We do the math calculation and then we decided to use this way to activate the robot. That's much more efficient. And that allows for a longer battery life. Yes, that's true. Now, so this is very, very cool. I imagine, though, using it in practice is kind of slow if you were to use it for a manufacturer. Yes, we could make it smaller and make it faster. Well, it depends on the demands of the customs. Yes. So if we change uh, a different kind of ball screws the robot can walk faster. Uh, like this one, it can walk, walk much faster than this one. I see. The small one can watch, walk larger than the big so one. So it depends on the, the ball screws, the dimension of the ball screws. Okay. The pitch. Okay. How, how, did the, how did this robot begin as a concept? Who, who decided that this was... Well, uh, it initially... Uh, our professor designed this uh, robot. He, he proposed the concept using a parallel mechanism yep. to make the leg uh, can bury much high, higher payload. Yes. I see. And to move around the drill or whatever end factor you wish to put in it. It's very cool. Thank you. Thank you. And last but certainly not least, Audrey spoke to Lester Teicheon, environmental engineer at Advision, about a watercraft for environmental monitoring. Hi, welcome to Robots Podcast. Hi. Can you tell me a bit about this craft here? Okay. Mm, this, this is called ASMV, the Autonomous Surface Monitoring Vehicle. And it's a collaboration project between... JTC and Wally Parsons. JTC is a government agency in Singapore, and Wally Parsons is a consultancy firm. So this project, um, the main objective is to replace the uh, uh, conventional um, 
uh, surveyed by human, like carrying out water quality monitoring, uh, water collection. So we're going to replace it with an autonomous vehicle, like the one we are showing in here. So uh, this vehicle can go to the coordinates and all those um, roads that we have already preset. Uh, so when they go to the point, they can do the water collection. Besides the water collection, they can do uh, transects. Like, uh, what, what is that? Uh, transects, yeah. Because uh, this project is about um, environmental monitoring. So there's a lot of reclamation projects in Singapore. So um, they are actually um, going to test, uh, look at the profile of the sea, the sea column. Yeah, so they can see uh, how much the, after the sand is dumped into the sea, they can see how the uh, sediment move in the water column. Oh, dumping sediment. Yeah. Okay, so this is for reinforcing, it's to fight erosion, correct? Yeah, something like that. So you dump sand uh, in the ocean and that changes how the water moves, which changes how things are eroded. So the coast doesn't erode into where the buildings are, correct? Um, the reclamation here is uh, quite different. It's for development. So after they reclaim, they will build uh, uh-huh, They build more, more, more land in Singapore. Yes. I see. Can you tell me a bit about what this watercraft looks like? Uh, the craft is actually a catamaran. So uh, there will be there are two floats. On top of the two floats, they will they are carrying uh, those uh, lidar and some uh, laptops and some monitoring equipment. Yeah. Gotcha. And it's how many? Six meters long. Um, yeah, it's about. A little bit like maybe 5.5 meters. <laughs> yeah, it's around 60. Yeah. Okay, and then how, how wide? Uh, it's 2.4 meters, if I'm not wrong. Yeah. Wide. Okay, yeah. and then it has big propellers at the end. What kinds of things are... So what, what does it look like for you to monitor the data? This goes out, and it goes to several locations over time, yeah. and it takes samples at those locations... Yes monitoring things like maybe the pH of the water, the algae, I, I don't know, what kind of things? Uh, there are a lot of parameters that we are looking at. Yes. So um, for the institute, there will be um, pH, uh, dissolved oxygen, the turbidity level, and uh, temperature. And, yeah. and also we do collect water sample. As you can see, on top there are like bottles there. Yeah, so the water, the, the, it will collect water and go into the bottles, and the bottles will collect and send to the lab. Ah. And in the lab, they will be tested with more parameters like uh, heavy metals. And, yeah, there are more parameters like along this. And then so taking all this data, you look for thing, a whole spectrum of things. Yeah, it will be reported in uh, a lot of reports. And it, it's a continuous... Sample. So you do this every day at a few... Or, yeah, or, that's why they are looking at... Uh, replacing. Replacing. So it can be autonomous and very consistent. Yes. Interesting. Do similar systems exist? Do it. Um, they are autonomous vehicle like this, but um, we have developed something like to collect water and uh, the sediment flux, so the transect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Gotcha. And so it's totally autonomous, this craft? Yeah, it can be a remote control as well. Remote control? Yeah. I see. 
And so that the way the way a user operates it is they set locations, geolocations. Yes. Ah, and then this goes about and does it. It's an autonomous system. Will you have a fleet of them to cover an area? Because uh, this is only the testing phase, ah. so it's not until the uh, push to the market yet. When do you think it will go to market? Uh, the testing phase is until end of this year. So if everything goes well, then yeah, maybe a year or two, maybe. And then how do just uh, so when it does go to market, how are the things analyzed for and visualized the data that you take? I suppose it varies, but. I guess it will be controlled by a company or an agency. I see. So you'll give the data, and the data will be yeah. analyzed with other software. Yeah. I see. Okay. Thank you. Hey. Thank you. And that's the end of today's interviews. But before we go, we wanted to let you know that at the request of several of our listeners, we have now launched a Patreon campaign. Patreon is a service that allows regular small donations for creative content, such as our podcast. And in our case, we hope that Patreon donations will help us to attend more conferences such as ICRA and to visit research labs around the world so we can bring you, our listeners, closer to the action and produce even more exciting and engaging episodes. The RoboHub podcast will, of course, always be free and we wouldn't want anyone to feel like they have to support us. But if you can spare a few dollars a month without having to skip your morning coffee or check your bank balance, we'd really appreciate your support. You can find more information on robohub.org forward slash podcast, where you will also find all our past episodes. We'll be back in two weeks time. Until then, goodbye. ICRA with RoboHub, the podcast for news and views on robotics.